it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Season two of HBO Succession is back, and the Ringers Chris Ryan and Jason Concepcion are here to give you the latest in Roy family drama. Every Sunday night, they'll be breaking down what we just saw on our new show called Number One Boys, a Succession After Show. You can tune in live on the Ringers Twitter every Sunday night, right after the episode ends. David, this weekend, CNN anchor Chris Cuomo went ballistic on a heckler who called him Fredo, as in the character from The Godfather. We'll discuss this in detail, but what I want to know is, what fictional character would you be enraged to be compared to? <laughs> um, well, let's stipulate for a minute that Chris Cuomo... Uh, Felt like that was a, a, a racial or racist attack on him uh, to be called Fredo. I'm not sure that most people heard it that way, but in so much, I mean, in, in so much as it's been stated that that's uh, a, you know particularly offensive to the Italian community, uh, we apologize and, and now we'll make jokes about uh, jokes about it. The, um, I mean, listen, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of ugly characters, a lot of despicable characters. Um, I think I think I would be most offended to be called just like a like a, a widely loathed character. Like if somebody was just like, "Hey, hey, Wesley Crusher, come, you know, get over here," <laughs> or like, "Hey, hey, Jar Jar, what are you doing?" You know, like that would be. Oh, I, when I was a kid, people called me Egon because I had sort of like a mullet and glasses, based on Egon from the cartoon, not the uh, not the Ghostbusters movie. I think I called you Egon in high school. Yeah, and that's fine. I was okay. But but gen- now, as a grown-up man who is bald and has glasses, I generally get a little bit of, a little bit perturbed when I'm compared to another person of those uh, guy of those outlines. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, I think you could call me, you know, you can call me Powder all you want, and it would pale in comparison to someone. No pun intended. To someone calling me like Scrappy Doo, uh, I just think that's that's so much more offensive. Can I tell you when I got on the East Coast? And this yeah. came from actually two different people I sat down with. Both most might, might be sports media people that you know. They both looked at me and said, did anybody ever tell you that you look like Woj? Now, <laughs> I, I said, I'm not offended by that, but one of us needs a new haircut, if that's the case. <laughs> two people said, did, you ever, did anybody ever tell you you look like Woj? Oh. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Oh, no. We are the Statler and Waldorf of Media Podcasts. This is the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker here. Tons to get to this week. We'll talk about Joe Biden's shaky day at the Iowa State Fair. Chris Cuomo's rather amped up day on Shelter Island. We've got Tucker Carlson on vacation or in timeout, and we'll remember when the movie The Right Stuff was a presidential campaign ad. But David, I think we have to start with Jeffrey Epstein, and here we go down the meta-media rabbit hole. Do I say apparent suicide, or does that drag us straight into conspiracy land? Well, if you want to jump in feet first, then let me jump first. Uh, I was just, as Chris uh, here next to me knows, I was just watching an excerpt of uh, Joe Rogan's podcast where he was discussing the Epstein uh, Epstein's death with uh with with comedian Tom Papa just who you want to hear on this yeah and then and Rogan said this is the one conspiracy where nobody believes the true story and in this in this instance i think Joe Rogan's got it spot on let's recap what we do know before we go way down the rabbit hole Jeffrey Epstein was the financier of course awaiting trial on sex trafficking and other charges He was found hanging in his cell after 6 a.m. Saturday morning, pronounced dead at the hospital later. Last month, Epstein, of course, had been placed on suicide watch after bruises were found on his neck. That watch was lifted 11 days before his death. And the New York Times reports, quote, Epstein was supposed to have checked, been checked, excuse me, by two security guards every 30 minutes. But that procedure was not followed Friday night, a law enforcement official with knowledge of his detention said. The Times also notes that the inmates who had been on suicide watch typically had cellmates. Epstein did not at the time of his death. Friday was, of course, also the day that a bunch of Epstein documents hit the Internet. The um, That is the official story. I believe the last I checked, the medical examiner in New York was satisfied uh, that the cause of death was suicide, but had not made that an official determination for various procedural reasons. 
But we went immediately into conspiracy world, starting with the president of the United States, Donald Trump, who retweeted an actor and comedian who'd written hashtag Jeffrey Epstein had information on Bill Clinton and now he's dead. I see hashtag Trump body count trending, but we know who did this. Lynn Patton, a Trump staffer in the housing and urban development uh, department, mm-hmm. referenced the Epstein story on Instagram and wrote, quote, Hillary and hashtag Vince Foster part two, referring to a much debunked theory about Vince Foster's death back during the Clinton administration. I almost think there's so many conspiracies kind of floating around this, David, that we have to distinguish different things. There is this stuff where Trump, a Trump official and various people in internet conspiracy world are going straight to something else straight into the world. And then there's a second kind where I think journalists are being, are sort of naturally raising their eyebrows as they Uh would when anyone of this magnitude, I saw somebody call him maybe the most, maybe the most famous criminal defendant in the world would suddenly die in jail under those circumstances when he was supposedly being watched. And I guess the first one doesn't surprise me as much, but I, but I think what's interesting about this whole story and McKay Coppins wrote a piece about this in the Atlantic a while back where he said, the thing about Jeffrey Epstein is the stuff that's on the record, the stuff that we know Mm -hmm. is the kind of stuff that dignifies conspiracy theories. The stuff we know is the stuff that is, you know, this guy was a convicted pedophile. This guy had Bill Clinton and Donald Trump in his social circle and Prince Andrew. So uh, Coppins's point was when you, when you ask, why do these things flourish? This is a story that actually has elements that then people then take and go into strange directions. And it's true. Right. I mean, not the conspiracy theories aren't true, but the stuff about Epstein is really, really, you know, it's the kind of fuel for those kind of theories. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I think that the conspiracy theories, I mean, I, I think I think that the, the the danger of this is that, I mean, as you were alluding to, it calls into question uh, the whole category of, of of conspiracy theories that would otherwise be easily dismissed. Right. I mean, it. The various established voices making Vince Foster jokes over the past couple of days, uh, while in poor taste, you know, one can assume that that lies within the realm of humor. But there's a huge audience for those tweets um, that is not taking them as not taking that as a joke, right? Nope. I mean, it's in in some ways it re- th- this the Jeffrey Epstein situation retroactively validates not just the so sort of broader genre of conspiracy theorizing, but but specific ones too, you know, and that has the potential to be really dangerous. And I think specifically to this one, and I think you, we, the, the McKay Coppins point is the right one. This this is is exists. I mean, exists as a conspiracy theory. I mean, I mean, it is it is what we think of as conspiracy theories. The difference is we know it to be true. Now, there's a lot of questions, a lot of potential ways you could look at it. Um, to sort of sort of make peace in your mind about how it was allowed to go on for so long, um, this is not, uh, you know, this doesn't fit neatly into the mold of like you know some of these, some of these Me Too situations that are ghastly in their own right. But certainly, it, it's a it it it's uh, reminiscent of the Bill Cosby situation in that it is and it, it was a a heinous. Uh, you know, it, it was not not a crime. It, I mean, it hadn't been convicted of of, of one for a long time, but um, it was in a plain terrible sight. Si- a, a terrible, a terrible situation, a terrible crime existing in plain sight. Right? I guess that I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, yeah. And and by the way, and, now that now that we have the whole scope of the thing, doesn't the reporting that Julie K. Brown did in the Miami Herald see? It doesn't seem more miraculous that nobody else was really following up on this. The, yeah. You know, now that we know, uh, we we read that you know he he potentially had damaging information about other famous people. That of course Trump's labor secretary was the one who made the deal with him. He gave him the sweetheart deal there in Florida, which allowed him to be a free man all these years. It's just amazing that nobody else was on this trail, yeah, at all, or 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 on it to to the extent that she was on it anyway. I don't know when I was reading all the tweets. 
on Saturday after he had been discovered in his cell. This was one of those moments that I really longed for newspaper ease. We talked about how journalists last week could be newspaper journalists could almost do this parody of newspapering when they see something in front of them. This is one of those times where I'm like, everybody else on Twitter is going into conspiracy mode. What I want is this little slice of media Twitter to just tell me what happened and just tell me what we know and put together the pieces methodically and, and not go down this path because it's just like, I mean, I was reading, you know, Claire McCaskill tweets something. We should do a whole Claire McCaskill segment at some point. Something stinks to high heaven. How does someone on suicide watch hang himself with no inter- intervention? Impossible. Unless dot, 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 <laughs> you know, w- unless <laughs> what want to want, yeah. want to keep, want to keep going with that. Um, and I was, I was struck by a tweet from the Miami Herald's Ben Conark. I think that's how you say his name. He says, not going to speculate, but the idea that someone could kill themselves even while on suicide watch is not surprising to anyone who has covered prisons and jails as he has. So I don't know about you, but I was like, I, I'm, I want to, I want old media starchiness to reassert, reassert itself here. I want, I want us to go slowly as frustrating as that could be when Trump says the obviously racist thing. This is when I want old media to go, okay, we're taking this a half step at a time here. Yeah. Only because you want it because as a, you know, hopefully informed consumer of news, you want to be, uh, apprised of, yeah, the granular detail in, um, you know, presented in, like you said, in slow motion. I mean, I, I, I can speak for myself when I say I've, I've in the past several days, I've clicked on more of the, you know, the kind of clickbait uh, archetype headline of like everything we know about, you know, Jeffrey Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein's death, Jeffrey Epstein's associates, Jeffrey Epstein's money. I've clicked on more of those headlines deliberately uh, than probably the rest of my life put together because I'm just like, I'm literally like groping for, uh, you know, molecular concrete information. And, uh, and, and like you said, you just want, you want it to be presented with, with what we do know in the face of just wild, I mean, almost inescapable speculation. I was looking at a tweet from the Washington Post, Carol Leonig, who was one of the bylines on one of their early Epstein stories after his death. This is her tweet. People close to Epstein fear he was murdered. As Epstein told authorities, someone tried to kill him in a prison incident weeks earlier. He was described as being in good spirits in recent days. Okay, you go, whoa, here's a, Was- a longtime Washington Post reporter. This this seems big. And then you click on the link, and that information is buried like three quarters of the way down through the piece and is not presented in exactly those terms. It's more in the terms of associates of Epstein were surprised he committed suicide, which, by the way, happens with lots and lots of suicides in the world. How many people say, I knew this was going to happen? Um, and I watched it, and it was like, it was almost like, as if a very by the number story was packaged on Twitter in this just extreme way, people close to him fear he was murdered. And then, you know, well, what do those people know? You know, who, who, what do those people know of anything? And are those people that are worth quoting in the, in the newspaper? And anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, and, and further to the, to the Ben Connor tweet that you mentioned, Michael Shermer, uh, of skeptic magazine, um, uh, who's a writer I much admire um, a lot of the time is, is tweeting about this and kind of he, he's, you know, he's anti conspiracy theory almost across the board. But and and has made, you know, continues to make the point on Twitter that if a pedophile whose name you didn't know, you know, who was who not a, a, a national figure killed himself uh, even under on suicide watch in prison, no one would be surprised. No one would be putting conspiracy theories together. But it's the celebrity involved in the situation that makes our minds, uh, you know, go to these extreme places. That said, you know, a, a pedophile whose name you didn't know who's on suicide watch in prison certainly would not have been attached to so many high-level figures. Um, listen, I mean, the speculation is fun. I was sitting, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I get it. I get, I get why people are so, ca- are so, if not fun, why, why it's so captivating. I was sitting in the office yesterday talking to Ringer employee Justin Charity about how, how powerful a human has to be to, to have someone killed. You know, I mean, that's just like, it's a, it's a thought experiment that's like attractive in a kind of, you know, whatever, playful way, even though it's not a playful situation. Um, 
but you know, it's it's this is I just can't imagine a story that is that would be more seductive to conspiracy thinking than this. And I and frankly, I can't imagine a time in our history where it would be it's more dangerous for this to be kind of the going conversation. Um, you know, Ross Douthat has a has a I think a pretty good column in the Times today. Um, uh, discussing the whole situation and conspiracy theorizing in general and when it's okay to believe conspiracies. And he makes a, you know, he, he draws an interesting comparison to Area 51 where he's just like, yeah, well, it's easy to dismiss the little green men thing if you're so inclined, but like there's actual conspiracies going on. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's actually, there's actually stuff going on at Area 51 in our kind of military industrial complex that, that like, that, you know, neatly fits the description of, of like conspiracy, right? I mean, there's, there's lots of stuff that, that if you wanted to point a finger at that we know about this stuff, right? And this Does is it, sort of one of the, and, and that feeds the kind of loonier end of the conspiracy theories. And this is, I think, another situation like that. Doesn't it tip the balance when the president of the United States is on the pro-conspiracy side? Doesn't that just change it, everything? I mean, this is like if Lyndon Johnson it, had been like, hey, I think, of the, I think the mob or Castro got Kennedy. And you'd be yeah. like, whoa, what? Or, you know, or, or we're throwing stuff out around there. And I think when you have the president doing it, I just feel I just feel like throughout a lot of American history, or at least recent American history that we've seen, the official voices are the ones telling you, look, th- that's bullshit. That's not true. And in this case, the official voice, including the number one board yeah. voice, is at least retweeting stuff. And of course, he had his whole bit about Ted Cruz and JFK. Yeah. Um, is the one telling you, hey. Why not believe these? Even if, and who knows if Trump actually believes it or not, but Trump's the one saying the point mm. you just made. This is fun. Why don't Why don't yeah. we go down this road? Why don't we imagine that the Clintons had these people killed? Why don't we imagine all that stuff? And man, that to I me just changes everything. Yeah, I appreciate you associating me with the president. That, that That's great. But the, um, <laughs> just kidding. For the but first the, and uh, last time. Uh, it won't be the last. But listen, um, I, I completely agree with that in theory. And I think that in... in Especially, you know, coming off of the tragedies of last week, um, it is our obligation to to point out the fact that regardless of how you answer the question that you just asked, there is a, part of the answer is yes, this is a dangerous thing for him to be doing. That the people who are most susceptible to believe these things, the the, the, the people for whom the people who I'm implicitly describing when I say the word dangerous, uh, yeah, uh, I think would take the president's endorsement. Um, as a significant po- or positive, or at least a significant thing. Um, that said, I can't help. I mean, when you start asking the question, part of me just says, you know, ex- exempting though exempting that that area of real, you know, definable danger. Part of me thinks that it doesn't matter that much, and not that it doesn't matter, but that that the president has President Trump has so long ago abdicated any kind of role of of moral responsibility of institutional guidance. Um, that I'm not sure that there's anybody that saw his retweets or saw his has seen his kind of Twitter reaction to this and thought think thought something different than when they went in, except potentially those you know few real problematic uh, sorts who are you know hold you know who are trying to to translate QAnon statements or whatever. I mean, I, I I'm not I, I think that I don't think that the moral institution of the presidency is any different today than it was a week ago. No, but I think that I think the moral calculus about conspiracy theories is different. And I think having Trump as somebody who, you know, again, is just a totally strange, unconventional authority figure in American life who is pushing these theories actively, or at least, you know, in in the case of the JFK thing or or, you know, sort of retweeting them and winking about them. I think that's different. And I just I just think I just think whether or not it convinces one more person that there's something to this Epstein thing that the official record is not telling you, I don't know. But that it makes the fever swamp expand a little bit you're right. more. Sure. You're yeah, you're 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 right. And and I think what I'm saying, I think I'm I am it brings I am, conspiracy uh, thinking a little more into, let's say, like conservatism. A Republican yeah. Party thinking, sure, right? I mean, that's yes, you know, yeah, that's, you're right. That's, you're to right. me, it's uncontrovertible that that's right. I'm probably, I mean, I'm just beaten down and to some, in some extent, largely immune to to what the president does. And and yeah, I mean, it is to to you know to wink at the at the notion of conspiracy is one thing to sort of like implicitly or explicitly name 
the Clintons as, as he and others have done, I think is, is despite the fact that that's an easy punchline and that there's like, you know, good spirited humor to be found right next to Trump on Twitter about such things for the president to do it is, is pretty, is, is outrageous. I mean, yeah, I can say that with, I can say that. And I, and I think that you're right to mainstream conspiracy theory is, is incredibly dangerous and not just from a, you know, political violence point of view or from anything like that. Yeah. But, but it's, it's, I think it's, you know, on some level it's on the continuum of, um, I mean, I don't want to get too soapboxy here, but it's on the continuum of the trajectory the Republican Party has been on for a while with, with you know, I mean, just yes. denial of climate science and denial of, of mm-hmm. you know, the, the the largely agreed upon economic principles and, 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 uh, and, and, you know, delivering, um, in, I mean, kind of falsifying evidence to deliver outcomes that they're not promising all, all across, kind of across the board. I mean, I, I'm not, I, I think that this is, I mean, maybe as with some other thing, so many other things in the Trump era, we're kind of reaching the logical end to a lot of uh, the problems the Republican Party has, has uh, you know, been offering us for a long time. Everything becomes a hoax. Everything yeah. you everything you don't like becomes a hoax, or everything that you hope, you know, everything that says that what you that what you want to be true isn't true is a hoax or a cover up. And I, and I certainly think that's a big deal. All right, David, time for the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious. What a transition. But all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nomination to at the press box pod where they will be gratefully received. Uh, this doesn't really fit in a conspiracy theory, just weird. But I'm sure, David, you saw the bizarre sports story with Antonio Brown. No, not the one about him hurting his feet in cryogenic freezing. The other oh, one yeah. that involved his helmet. According to the NFL Network's Mike Silver, Brown was so upset that the NFL no longer lets him wear the style of helmet he prefers that he began acting strangely and then went AWOL from Raiders training camp. That's a weird story, but it gets weirder because guess who weighed in? OJ Simpson. Let's listen. Oh, no. Now, I live in Las Vegas. I would love to see Antonio Brown play. I think he's one of the greatest receivers that has ever played football. But if you're telling me He's willing to give up that kind of money because of the style of a helmet. Look, you don't want to go to training camp? Don't go. But giving up that money because of uh, the helmet? I call BS. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> It'll take care. Now, I've laid a lot on you there. Antonio Brown's helmet. OJ Simpson's comment on Antonio Brown's helmet. But stay with me, David, because it was an overworked Twitter joke to write, if your helmet doesn't fit, you must quit. <laughs> if your helmet doesn't fit, you must quit. Thanks to Obi-Wan Jacoby for that one. I thought that was pretty good. There is a sequel, David, to the lucrative horror movie It coming out. Last week, IndieWire tweeted, quote, Alamo Drafthouse, a movie chain near and dear to my Texas heart. They didn't tweet that, but that's mm-hmm. me. Alamo Drafthouse sets clowns only screening of it chapter two so me a clowns only screening of the new it movie Jesus. uh there were a lot of jokes about trump or congress and eh, i'm not going there that's kid stuff it was a superior <laughs> overworked twitter joke to write condolences to the one uber driver bringing all 150 of clowns to the <laughs> screening <laughs> always nice to have a clown oh, car joke man that is amazing that is Great fantastic stuff, stuff. And finally, David, Donald Trump took a break from slamming Democratic presidential nominees or fostering conspiracy theories on Twitter to slam evil, feckless Hollywood. He tweeted, liberal Hollywood is racist at the highest level. And with great anger and hate, they like to call themselves elite, but they are not elite. In fact, it is often the people that they so strongly oppose that are actually the elite and blah, 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 blah. They are the true racists and are very bad for our country. Okay. Whew. Deep breath. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, wow, Trump really hated the trailer for Cats. Thanks to our pal Nick Field <laughs> for that one. Mm. If you think Cats jokes wow. really are now and forever, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. All right, David, time for the notebook dump. Let us begin with Joe Biden's day at the State Fair. <sighs> if we as a press corps are monitoring Joe Biden for any downturn in stamina and capacity, well, Thursday he delivered. What a list. Biden appeared to confuse British Prime Ministers Margaret Thatcher and Theresa May, a mistake he has made before. 
Biden said he was the vice president when the Parkland shooting in Florida happened. Also a mistake he has made before. Biden said this when he attempted to land one of his big riffs during his stump speech. We got to let them know who we are. We choose unity over division. We choose science over fiction. We choose truth over facts. And so, folks, if you're interested, join me. I could use the help. We choose truth over facts. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's, that's, a, that's like a George W. Bushism right there, I feel like. Probably the most devastating part was this bit of mangled speech, which Biden delivered at an event devoted to race. We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids, wealthy kids, black kids, Asian kids. No, I really mean it, but think how we think about it. We think now we're going to dumb it down. They can do anything anybody else can do, give it a shot. You can see his brain trying to scrambling to correct that one. The recovery was impressive so far as brain uh, energy <laughs> just, goes. Yeah, <laughs> he just he just named other kinds of kids. Ugh. Anyway, I wrote a piece about the fact that the press is sort of looking at Biden like he's an aging quarterback. Yes. When we have an old quarterback before us, all of us sports media people watch the guy and are like, oh, my gosh. Oh, did you see that pass he threw today? Oh, God, it's getting worse and worse, isn't it? Isn't that the yeah. way we're covering Biden at this point? I think so. And you sort of have an institutional press corps that, that you know, there are a lot of reasons why, why I, I can imagine one could watch the news and, and feel like the, you know, so a lot of the press is sort of in the bag for your Joe Biden, for Joe Biden and, and other politicians like him, but Joe Biden in particular. But there is a sort of aging quarterback vibe to that too, right? It's a sort of like you can imagine Joe Buck and Troy Aikman not coming out and saying like, geez, Louise, this guy's lost it and just sort of try to talk around it or or uh, go straight to the old story bag or whatever and, 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 and avoid talking about the his, you know, degeneration or whatever altogether. But yeah, I think overall that's exactly right. I mean, I think that it couldn't have. I mean, it's a it's a spot on analogy by you. Congratulations. And I uh, and but I but I think after that the day. I mean, that Joe Biden's day at the fair is a. Uh, I mean, who knows if it'll if it'll actually change the trajectory of a campaign? But man, it was a it was a it was just a supremely bad day. You know, one hopes it was an off day. At this point, it's getting sort of hard to uh, to write these off as as mere gaffes. And and honestly. You know, as we as we kind of go into the meta horse racy stuff about this, it's hard to imagine that. I mean, it, it it's hard to to continue to talk yourself into him being the best opponent for Donald Trump, no matter what these like super early poll you know, head to head polls show. He's mm-hmm. just a he's a he's a he's a walking target at this point. His appeal to Democratic voters at this point is, I'm the safest choice if you want to beat Trump. These other people could screw it up. But you look at me and think that guy could win Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania and win the election. And the way that's going to disappear, the way his advantage in the polls is going to disappear is if that notion of I'm the safest choice disappears. And I do feel, again, we're so early. We still got mo- we still got months and months before the first caucus or primary. But I feel that all these things begin to chip away at it a little bit. You know, I feel like people like people like our moms who are who are not reading Matt Iglesias's Twitter feed on a daily basis or (laughs) really or really ever. No offense to Matt. Um, The Biden gaffe thing is starting to work their way down there. And at some point, that's that's going to show up in the polls. Don't know how much, don't know when, but it's going to show up at some point. Yeah, I think that I think I mean, if you just speak specifically of moms, I mean, I think that there's a lot of power in, you know, uh, Joe Scarborough putting his head in his hands in exasperation and, and, and reacting to something like this, right? I mean, that's that's what will stick with um, a lot of potential voters. And I, you know, this. I mean, listen again. They're not reading Twitter, but to take to make a Twitter point when you can have a day like this that elicits a million, you know, who among us has not, and you know, ironic tweets. You know, I mean, it's it's just a bad. It's a terrible day for a campaign, and to have kind of one thing after another to have them. To have, the, I mean, we were exchanging tweets where people were just compiling the tweets, you know. I mean, and mm-hmm. it was that there. It's just, I mean, it's hard to imagine that day going any worse. 
I mean, for any candidate. And I, and that and by the way, this is a day when Bill de Blasio wandered around for like 10 hours without being noticed by anyone. So, you know, I mean, this is the bar. The bar was already set. Did you notice how Biden's people were trying to spin his mistakes as authenticity? Essentially yeah. saying the reason he has flubs once in a while is that he's speaking what's on his mind. This is their move here. Uncle Joe is not scripted. Uncle Joe is authentic. And when you have somebody who's authentic, they're going to make mistakes because they're just speaking from the gut. That is their that is their attempt to finesse this because I don't know how else you do it at this point. There have been every time he this is this is not a dude who's had a lot of public appearances or really very many tough interviews at all with the press. And every time he has one or almost every time we get something like this. So I guess that's their move. The New York Times noted that David Axelrod was doing sit downs with all the candidates in Iowa and Biden was one of the few candidates who did not sit down with them. This is David Axelrod. Guy ran Obama's campaign. Yeah. Biden was Obama's <laughs> vice president. So, you know, they are keeping him very, very far away from this stuff. And it's still happening. I yeah, think I mean, that's we- got to be alarming. That's not too far away from the excuse. I mentioned George W. Bush earlier. It's not that's not too far away from the from the kind of excuse given to him when he was, you know, when he would unleash any of his, you know, many famous malapropisms. Um, and I think to some extent that was true. I mean, I think if it's not I don't th- I don't know that that, you know, mispronouncing nuclear makes a, a potential voter like you better uh, or like you more. But it does potentially, you know, I mean, but but if they have, you know, if they have an easy excuse at hand, if they have an easy, you know, if they have an easy way to dismiss it, I think that's helpful. Um, but I also think that, you know, George W. Bush wasn't running in an era where his opponent was just going to, like, stand up at a debate and just list the dumb things he said, you know, for just as the audience cackles. You know, he, he it was a different era. And I think that um, I think that that running against Trump, that's going to be a problem for one thing. But I think more importantly, it's that all of us are talking about it. It's that these, the news networks, even the ones that like that I mentioned before that might've previously seemed to be in the bag for him are covering it. Uh, the, you know, the, the cable shows, you know, are, are covering, have, have the time often to cover it ad nauseum. And eventually the, the narrative begins to write itself. And, and that's, that's what you're running against almost as much as an opponent. Can we talk about the genre of state fair reporting in the Please. national media? The best specimen uh, of the genre was never Trumper Max Boot, who wrote a Washington Post column called My Day at the Iowa State Fair Reaffirmed a Little of My Battered Faith in America. Uh, He begins (laughs) the piece. This is the first sentence. Last month, I was at the Wimbledon Championships. Now, if you're going to write a man of the people column, not sure you want to start with Wimbledon. I like Max Boot. I've I've met Max Boot. I don't think anyone uh, would accuse him of being a man of the people. Uh, let me let me give you a few more sentences here. My day began and ended in the livestock enclosures, where on a small stage lined with artificial turf, the swine strut their stuff. <laughs> he continues. The food stands are almost as entertaining as the star attractions. They advertise deep-fried mac and cheese, hand-dipped double bacon corn dogs, giant half-pound tenderloin, deep-fried pickle dogs and other delicacies that will never be found in the lean cuisine aisle. <laughs> lean cuisine. Oh man, is that that's even worth going to the, let's go to the previous bush. That's is that that using that line might be that's worse than not one. knowing how it yeah, not knowing how a checkout how a checkout uh, uh, scanner works. That's Max, insane. Are you, you going to take the nesty plunge next? <laughs> are you going to bite into a Charleston chew? <laughs> these references from here's his final paragraph i left reassured that the normal rhythms of iowa life continue as they have for generations despite the various pathologies on display in modern america from the white house to the el paso walmart iowa nice has survived in an age of snark sarcasm and mass shootings there are still plenty of kids who devote their energies to raising pigs rather than raising hell or simply zoning out with video games my day at the fair reaffirmed a little of my battered faith in america newsflash to max boot the kids who brought their pigs to the Iowa State Fair want video games. That is, <laughs> they are not immune. They are, they, 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 they like things that other children like. This is, I don't know where you think you're visiting, but this is, yeah. 
Yeah. Department David of Angry News Anchors. I was going to do Anthony Scaramucci in this slot, but our producer Jim Cunningham ah. quickly says we should revisit the Queer Squamo thing. Weirdly, Scaramucci does get involved in this later. Yeah. Chris Cuomo, primetime CNN anchor, was at a bar in Shelter Island, New York, when a man came up to him and called him Fredo, like from The Godfather. Here's part of his response. Don't fucking insult me like that. I didn't insult you. Fuck you call me Fredo. It's like I call you punk bitch. You like that? You want that to be your nickname? I didn't call you that. You called me Fredo. You know my name's not fucking Fredo. I thought your name was. You did not think my name was fucking Fredo. Don't be a liar. I want to be a man. Stand up like a man. I'm standing up, man. I want to be a man out here. Then fucking own it. Then own what you said. Then own what you said. Listen, I have a problem with you, man. You're going to have a fucking problem. What? What are you going to do about it? I'll fucking ruin your shit. I'll fucking throw you down these stairs like a fucking punk. Please do. You don't want to sue? So you can fucking sue? Well, why don't you do it? Go take a swing. You want to call me Fredo? Take a fucking swing. You know what my response to the heckler was as an employee of the ringer and Bill Simmons? What? Get your own cultural references. <laughs> we, we own we own Godfather references here. Get out of here. Come up with something else. Uh, weirdly, Scaramucci and Sean Hannity came to Cuomo's defense. Hannity said he had nothing to apologize for. Cuomo on Twitter for his part says, truth is I should be better than the guys baiting me, dot, dot, dot. I should be better than what I oppose. So Chris <laughs> Cuomo going at it. Uh, this item, David, I call, I know what Tucker Carlson did this summer. And it was say something dumb and offensive on his Fox show. <laughs> Last Tuesday after the El Paso shooting, when a white supremacist killed 22 and wrote about an impending Hispanic invasion, quote unquote, Tucker Carlson called the idea that the U.S. has a white supremacy problem, a hoax. Listen up. The whole thing is a lie. If you were to assemble a list, a hierarchy of concerns of problems this country faces, where would white supremacy be on the list? Right up there with Russia, probably. It's actually not a real problem in America. The combined membership of every white supremacist organization in this country would be able to fit inside a college football stadium. White supremacy, that's the problem. This is a hoax, just like the Russia hoax. It's a conspiracy theory used to divide the country and keep a hold on power. That's exactly what's going on. As we were saying about hoaxes and conspiracy theories, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you took out white supremacy and replaced it with any other subject, that is the most, like, just cut and paste Tucker Carlson rant you could imagine, right? I mean, this sort of like, I'm going to take this. You don't even have to take out white supremacy, but but No, that's the point that I'm about to make, is that, I mean, you could, he makes these sort of like, like arch, like untrue, but like, you know, to the word, maybe not irrefutable. I mean, maybe irrefutable arguments taking, you know, just like, you know, obscure data points and and, and yelling, yelling as if they're the most important ones. And, and, you know, to, just to try to make some antagonistic or defensive, you know, argument uh, that makes his side or, or look good or makes the other side look dumb. But it's just like, is I mean, it's... How how do you how is how is white supremacy the hill that you choose to die on? How is white supremacy where you're going to take this line of just like like debate club idiocy? I, I just, it's just it's just so sad. Carlson, after that uh, bit, did what a lot of Fox hosts do when they get into trouble. He went on, and here is the Control Plus V Media text: What Fox News said was a long planned vacation. You'll remember this happened back in 2017. <laughs> After the big Bill O'Reilly story landed in the New York Times, also in 2017, Jesse Waters uh, went on vacation after making a lewd gesture in reference to Ivanka Trump. I had actually <laughs> forgotten about that Fox News scandal. Wait, didn't Laura Ingram go on vacation too? She had a vacation. Everybody it was, has it might a have actually been a vacation. Yeah, there's. Lots yeah, of we invite we invite you to go go into exile for a week, and hope that everybody forgets about this story. Can I suggest a conspiracy theory? Sure. Since this is the conspiracy theory episode of the press box, why not? What if this is a long-standing Fox News uh, tradition that when you actually have a vacation planned, you do something offensive enough to get yourself fired on your last episode just to make everybody freak out? So wait, wait, what's the conspiracy? <laughs> well, the cons- the conspiracy <laughs> is that Fo- is it Fox here? News? The Fox News knows exactly what they're doing here. That this is that so, it, that the, that every one of the every one of these has been planned, right? When you just say something really offensive on your last day before vacation, so that then when you go on vacation, people spend the entire week when they normally would be be forgetting that you exist, 
They spend oh. that entire week debating whether or not you 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 got fired. Now I'm getting it. And when they roll in like the the B or C replacement host, people are still talking about Tucker Carlson. There is like it's this like we, we care about Tucker more now. He has a better tan now, and he's like he's gained two points in the ratings in, in his absence. You're making a lot of sense, David. You're making <laughs> a lot of sense. In a not unrelated story, David, did you see the news about Breitbart? Um, <laughs> After the departure of their spiritual leader, Steve Bannon, the rap writes, monthly traffic on Breitbart has plummeted nearly 72% oh, yeah. from 17.3 million in January 20, 2017 when Trump took office to 4.9 million in June 2019, according to Comscore. It used to be the second biggest conservative news site behind Fox. It is now number six behind the Washington Examiner, Washington Times, The Blaze, and The Daily Caller and Fox. And boy, if you have to be grouped with those sites, it really sucks to be number six on that list, does it not? Hmm. We are the sixth biggest conservative site. Uh, the rap says that some suggest the Breitbart has struggled as the far-right views that used to make it stand out have become mainstream. Everything keeps coming back to our number one topic today. Uh, I got a correction of the week for you, David. Actually, I got two. The runner-up was this correction that ran in the New York Times on August 6th. An earlier version of this article incorrectly described the law that protects hate speech on the Internet. It is the First Amendment, not Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. <laughs> so just, the, just go for the more obvious one next time. But far more corrected was the July 27th feature that ran in the Washington Post. Oh, it was wow, an interesting yeah. topic about African-Americans who are trying to retain farmland their ancestors had during Reconstruction and Jim Crow, how the descendants deal with this tangle of court documents and different names on deeds, stuff like that. Problem was, lots of facts in the article were wrong, including name, dates, number of children various characters had, also various aspects of the law. Andrew Bujan in the Washingtonian notes that the correction was 579 words long, I'm quoting now, a little more than a fifth of the length of the revised article, dot, dot, dot. In print, it's so long it has to jump from the first page of the food section to the fourth. And Marty <laughs> Barron tells Bujan in a statement that he is embarrassed. But this that one just made me feel terrible because it made me feel bad for the paper, made me feel bad for the writer. It's just one of those where it's like this was just this just 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 didn't work on every level. All right, David, I got a little bit of history for you. When I was in New York, I picked up the new book by Jay Hoberman, former movie critic of the Village Voice called Make My Day Movie Culture in the Reagan in the Age of Reagan. I showed this to you. I was very excited about this book. This is like one of my favorite books about movies it was totally mind-opening to me because i thought i knew everything about like war games and red dawn and ghostbusters and then hoberman draws all these connections between them and what was happening in politics at the time yeah here's one thing i thought would work for us which was hoberman's discussion of the 1984 presidential campaign when just as they are now democrats were trying to unseat an incumbent republican president and one democrat that stepped into the batter's box was john glenn who was an Ohio senator and the first American astronaut to orbit the Earth. And Glenn's Lane, if you will, was the centrist, plain-talking, common-sense solutions guy. He was like John Hickenlooper if he were an astronaut. Listen to one of Glenn's commercials where he tries to define himself versus another Democrat, Walter Mondale. I'm not so sure I fully understand Mondale's policy because he's been making so many promises in some areas. I think uh, Mr. Mondale is trying to please too many people. He's trying to be everything for everybody, let's put it that way. And you can't do it. I see him making all sorts of general, vague statements, whereas uh, John Glenn comes out with specific plans. Mondale, I think, good man, you know. But I think Glenn's a better man. But I think Glenn's a better man. That's a, that's a, just a parade of regular people there for you. What happened was in October 1983, more or less where we are now in the Democratic campaign, a movie came out called The Right Stuff. You know this movie. Mm -hmm. And the movie was partially about John Glenn. He was played by Ed Harris. And Glenn, though he hated the script and actually tried to get NASA not to cooperate with the filmmakers, thought The Right Stuff would launch his presidential campaign. No pun intended. Uh, The New York Times at the time wrote, it was clear that no presidential candidacy has ever had a send-off quite like that afforded to Mr. Glenn. The Times also noted that the priggish self-righteousness attributed to Senator Glenn in the Wolf book is toned down in the movie. Tom Wolf's uh, depiction was not so kind. 
but it looked a lot better in the movie. Uh, so this movie, just imagine this, a, a biopic, a group biopic, but a biopic of you is yeah. coming out while you're running for president. Right. Which is pretty incredible. And it gets even better. Philip Kaufman, who directed the right stuff, got so paranoid because suddenly he realizes, wait a second, I've made this movie that may have this huge impact on American history. He gets so paranoid that he thought his film reels would be stolen in a Watergate style caper. He tells the New York Times he's, that he told his editors, you never know. Now our film might have some political significance. Thinking back to Watergate, what might happen? According to the director, uh, mem memories of break-ins and tape erasures made him determined to see that the original negatives were locked away and that all the editor's work prints were duplicated. Mr. Kaufman said later that a 9,000-foot work print that included all of the Glenn flight was lost or taken from his workplace in San Francisco. <laughs> 9,000 wow. 9, foot work print of the right stuff was stolen. John Glenn thought this was such a big moment for his campaign that he started saying the right stuff. You better believe it in his TV ads. Well, what happened in October, 1983, the movie came out and it bombed finishing seventh at the box office. Glenn finished fifth in the Iowa caucuses and a while later ended his biopic fueled presidential campaign. And David, that is how the right stuff became the original Beto O'Rourke Vanity Fair <laughs> profile. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Isn't that amazing? Can you yeah. imagine which which candidate would you like to see have a biopic coming out? I guess, I guess Beto kind of did with that HBO documentary. Which candidate would you like to see having like a major motion picture about their life at this point? There's definitely like a totally fictionalized version of, I mean, a semi-fictionalized version of Bernie Sanders. The road, like a one man's road to socialism, lonely road to socialism, I think could be a really interesting one. I mean, he's definitely met a lot of luminaries over the years. Yeah, you need a director who just was a real kind of straight shooter, one foot in front of the other kind of director. Yeah. I'm not sure who would have done the Bernie Sanders story. Because Bernie, Bernie's, almost, Bernie's sort of revolutionary in his ideas, but starchy in his persona. Sure. It's hard to imagine any of these uh, Democratic candidates uh, really rising to that level, although... You know, who am I to say? Maybe the John Hickenlooper story would have some legs if if the right director got a hold of it. It's time for David Shoemaker guesses a strain pun headline. Oh man, here's where I pause. I'm pausing for David. There we go. Thank you. Uh, Friday's pun headline was "Herb Your Enthusiasm." By the way, a lot of people on Twitter were aghast that we didn't know that herbs were a big part of pesto. So sorry, not a pesto podcast. Today's strain pun was sent to us by Cine. And it's from that, is there any other adjective? Venerable Digest of Ideas, The Economist. And it's a piece about tourists, David, who smuggle fish out of Norway. Tourists who smuggle fish out of Norway. Does that sound like an economist story or what? The Venerable Economist tells us visitors to Norway are allowed to take home 10 kilograms of their catch and double that if they fish with a licensed tourist company. The current bout of Tourist fisk activity, as the phenomenon is known, suggests many tourists are going far past the limit. In recent weeks, officials have caught dozens of cars and motorhomes laden, sometimes with 100 kilograms or more of fish, mainly cod. All right. Tourists taking fish in Norway. And I'm going to give you a key word here. Haddock. 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 What is the economist's strain pun headline? Can I can I tell you right now that I'm just like the like as you were describing the story, uh, the first thing to pop into my head that's permanently wedged there now is that there has to be at some point a strained pun headline that's the sun Oslo rises. Um, <laughs> well, uh, that is excellent and better than this one, but thank you. Please continue. Um, it doesn't fit sadly for this haddock. Um, all right, so people are smuggling haddock out of Norway. Uh, is it a is it paddock? Is that the is that the thing I'm going for? Like no, it, it actually the involves paddock? the word haddock. Oh God, um, ha uh, haddock, uh, haddock, hmm, all all haddock, no cattle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just deep cutting that. Uh, ha um, hadn't. Is it something with hadn't? That's the only thing I can't I can't get that out of my head. Um, you're 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 in the right zone. To haddock or have not to mm. to had not bad to uh little flowery but yeah okay are you ready yeah tell me 
Norway has had enough of fish smugglers. <laughs> and Cine notes that in the actual newsletter, the, the headline was Norway has had its fillet of fish smugglers. Instead of fill. <laughs> fillet. Yeah, you 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 missed that, that was this you you mislabeled this. This was this was time for David Shoemaker to guess the strained dad joke headline of the week. I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> that this. <laughs> They've had it enough, David. <laughs> I've had it enough of this episode. Let's get out of here. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Research by Chris Almeida. Production magic by Jim Cunningham. The official band of the press box is Gin Blossoms. We're back yeah. Friday morning, bright and early, with more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, man. David. Oh man. Something stinks to high heaven. Hmm. Um Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I think overall that's exactly right. Deep I mean, fried I think mac and cheese, hand dipped um, double bacon corn dogs, giant half pound tenderloin, um, deep fried pickle dogs. I mean it's a it's a spot on analogy by you. Congratulations. Not bad. Whew. Ugh. A little flowery, but you know. Ugh. Oh, that's fantastic. It's fantastic. Isn't that amazing? Idiocy. I, I just, it's just it's just so sad. Just, just didn't work on every level. <laughs> <laughs>